Okay. We're looking at a familiar passage of Scripture, Palm Sunday, also known as the triumphal entry. And we've been working our way through the book of John anyway, so it kind of naturally fits with where we're going. Jesus is coming in, and people are lining the streets. They're throwing palm branches on the ground. They're shouting Hosanna. And we look at this and we say, okay, now, now what's really going on here? And I want to look this morning at, at what's kind of happening and, and how Jesus perceives this event. Not just how the people perceive it, but how Jesus perceives it. There's an author and a pastor in Michigan by the name of Kevin D. Young. And I really like this guy. He's, um, he's very solid, very biblically grounded. And I listened to a panel discussion that he was involved in pretty recently. And he was talking about biblical interpretation. And he said something that I know will stick with me for the rest of my life. He said, when we're reading our Bibles, we have to be careful that we're not just reading the text that's on the page, but that we're trying to understand the mood of the text. And especially when you're communicating the word of God, that you're communicating the mood of the text. Because every text has its own mood to it. For example, when we we read, he is risen, There's a mood of jubilation and excitement and joy. And we communicate that when we preach on that text. And and similarly, though, when we hear words like, take heed lest you fall, there's a mood behind that. It's sobering. It's a warning that's being given. And the reason I say that is because Palm Sunday and this triumphal entry is an interesting text because we really do see it from two different perspectives as we bring the Gospels together. We see it from the perspective of the people who are standing there cheering and they're happy and they're joyful, their Messiah is coming. And oftentimes we hear Palm Sunday messages communicated with that mood. But then as we look at the other Gospels and especially what Luke says, we see that there's actually something kind of going wrong here. And that from Jesus' perspective, as he's coming over the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that he sees this going on and he's weeping. His heart is broken at what's happening. And so we see kind of two different attitudes at play. And I want to look at this more from the perspective of what is, how does God see Palm Sunday? What was Jesus weeping about? What was really happening with these people who were gathering to welcome in their Messiah? So Jesus, at this point, is at the height of his ministry, right? He's got a major following. His his approval rating is through the roof. He's got the masses flocking to him. He's just healed Lazarus, which was the biggest miracle that anyone had ever seen. And they're finally ready to embrace him as the Messiah. And as I said, as he comes riding into Jerusalem, he sees what's going on and he's weeping. And he says, if you only knew the day of your visitation... And what Jesus is weeping about and what he means by that is that even though he's coming in and they're, they're embracing the Messiah, they're still not really embracing him. And he knows that. He knows that, that, that they haven't really accepted him for who he is. They really haven't got it yet. You know, the Jews had problems with Jesus when it came to accepting him as the Messiah because he really didn't fit the description that they had created in their minds of who the Messiah should be. And I want to look at two problems that they had with Jesus and how he confronts these things during the triumphal entry. First of all, they had problems with Jesus' character. The 
Jews had this idea of the Messiah that, that he was going to come in the same manner as all the other Jewish political and spiritual leaders and that he was going to be handsome and charismatic and upper class. He was going to associate only with the, the upper echelon of all the spiritual people of his day. He was going to honor the religiously righteous and not associate with the sinner and the downtrodden, but Jesus comes in from day one. He just totally violates that expectation. And it offends people. He's born in a stable. He works as a carpenter. He associates with sinners and tax collectors. And so they had a problem with this humble, lowly Messiah. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus continues to confront this misconception about who he is. And it's profoundly significant that he comes in riding on a donkey. That he's not riding on some noble Arabian steed with his chest pumped out, ready to take his throne in Jerusalem. But that he's on a lowly donkey. He is communicating to the people, I am not who you think I am. People had problems with Jesus' humility and his servant heart. Even his own disciples. We, we see an instant where, where Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet and he takes off his cloak and he begins to wash. And Peter says, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Because in Peter's mind, Messiahs don't wash feet. Great spiritual leaders don't serve, they get served. And they struggled to reconcile who Jesus was with who they really thought the Messiah was supposed to be. And so they totally misjudged his character. But secondly, I'm sorry, yeah, his character. But secondly, they also misjudged his cause. The people did not understand Jesus' cause. Their view of the Messiah was that he was going to come and he was going to take his throne in Jerusalem, and he was going to overthrow Roman rule, and he was going to free the people from their physical oppression, and that he was going to begin a kingdom of God on earth, and that as it expanded, it was going to bring peace eventually to the entire world. This is where their minds were at. And, and for his entire ministry, Jesus is confronting this false notion, trying to get people to understand what he's really about. He comes and, and he starts talking about a kingdom of God that's within you and among you. He speaks of victory as, as victory over sin and death, not just victory and, and freedom from your physical oppressors. He wasn't coming to lead Israel and to battle over their physical enemies. His mission was so much bigger than that. He was coming to die on a cross and defeat all of our enemy, the greatest enemy, sin and death. And so even here on Palm Sunday as he's riding in, they're wanting to make him king. They see him coming and they're like, we're going to sit this guy on a throne. Here he comes. We got a plan for him. But Jesus doesn't cave and he never does. He never caves to who people want him to be. He is who he is, and we accept him for who he is. And if we don't accept Jesus for who he is, then really we don't accept him at all. He knew as he looked at these people that they were shouting Hosanna and throwing their palm branches down, not for him, 
but for a false idea of him. They weren't worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping a God of their own imagination, who they wanted him to be, who they wished that he was. And I want to tell you that this morning, people do the same thing in our day and age. There are many people who embrace unbiblical views about who Jesus is. Many of those views that are being propagated by our culture right now. And we take it in hook, line, and sinker because it feels good. It's what we want to believe in our hearts. But the problem is, it's not the biblical Jesus. And it's so important, it's so important, Jesus wept over it, that we believe in Jesus for who he is and not who we want him to be. And that we stand guard against false views of Christ that try to creep in. This is why Paul warned the church at Corinth against those who come preaching another Jesus. Because people will preach another Jesus. And we have to know that and be aware of that. My wife and I were talking uh, on the way to church this morning. And uh, we started talking about views that we've had in the past of, of Christ that, that we came to realize, man, this just is not who Jesus is. It doesn't fit the description. You know, she was part of a ministry for a while, and, and I was part of a church for a while that had a very legalistic view of Jesus. He was just the Jesus of rules and regulations. Be to church on time, wear the right clothes, don't curse, don't go to R-rated movies, and guess what? You're in. And we realize that this, this is not the Jesus of the Bible. And when we embrace a false idea of Jesus, it affects us. It affects the way we live. It affects our assurance and our confidence. There are consequences to embracing a false Jesus. And you know, today, there's other false Jesuses all around you know, postmodernism has infiltrated the church and painted a view of a morally relativistic Jesus. A Jesus who never took any hard stances, never sought to offend anyone, didn't really demand anything of anyone. He was the walk on eggshells Christ. You know, there, for example, there, there's a pastor, you may already know of this, who pretty recently wrote a book about how Jesus never really taught that there was an eternal hell. Very popular book. People have been taking this stuff in. Jesus never taught there was an actual hell. Really? And the problem is it sounds good and it really is appealing, but it's not true. There are people who preach a, a Jesus who never really said that he was the only way to salvation. He endorses many paths as long as intentions are good. But that's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches us. And these things are alive. These ideas are alive and well today. And so there seems to be this kind of Jesus buffet where we go through and we take the things that we want to believe about Christ and we reject the things that we don't want to believe about Christ. And in the end, what we really end up with is a false idea of Christ altogether. Like the Israelites in our text, we end up singing Hosanna and throwing our palm branches down at a Jesus of our own creation, of our own imaginings. And just as Jesus wept over the people in Jerusalem that day, so he weeps over those who have embraced false ideas over who he is. You want to know what breaks the heart of God? 
It's seeing people who are, are lost and who don't know him and don't understand him and have not embraced him for who he is. That's what breaks the heart of God. As I was reading this text, I said, God, give me a heart like that. Give me a heart that, that sees people who don't know you, who don't understand you, and that my heart would break for them. And that I would desperately want to see them come to the knowledge of who you are. Jesus didn't give people the option to create their own view of him. You know, it's not like you know, we create some avatar in our own liking. and we, You know, he wasn't like that. Jesus made people come to him on his own terms. If, if people couldn't embrace the Jesus who rode on a donkey, they couldn't embrace the true Jesus. If they couldn't embrace the Jesus who loved and ate with sinners, then they couldn't embrace the true Jesus. If they couldn't embrace the hard sayings of Christ about hell and our sinfulness, the cost of discipleship, then they couldn't embrace the true Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, what Jesus are we embracing? What Jesus are we embracing? Maybe, maybe we have a really easy time believing in the, the God of love and compassion and the lowly God, but we have a hard time embracing a God of absolute holiness and righteousness who still sits as judge on the throne at the right hand of God. Or maybe the opposite's true and we see God only as judge his holiness and his righteousness, but we have a hard time embracing his love and his compassion. You know, Matt Ortiz spoke a few weeks ago, and he said, we have to embrace both the lion and the lamb. And I thought that was such a great picture, that Jesus is the lowly servant. He is the lamb, the sacrificial one who came and laid down his life, the humble one. And he's also the lion who sits at the right hand of the father, whose hair is white and eyes burns with fire and his mouth is roaring like the thunders. This is the God we serve and he's both, not either or. We must receive him as he is. The problem with false views of Christ is that they don't save. They don't set free. They don't sanctify. This is what the Bible means when it says, the truth shall set you free. False ideas don't set free. The truth sets you free. Embracing the truth about Jesus and what he's done for us is what sets us free. So in closing, I just want to say this. We do celebrate on Palm Sunday. One thing the Jews got right is their king was coming and he was going to sit on a throne and it was a cause worth celebrating. They misunderstood what that meant, but for us, we do understand what that means and we do celebrate our king came to die a sinner's death, to be seated not on a throne in physical Jerusalem, but at the right hand of God. And for that reason, we do praise him. We do throw our palm branches on the ground. We do shout Hosanna because we know who the true Christ is and why he came and what he's done. And so my admonition to you this morning is believe in Jesus and what he's done for you and believe in the true Jesus of the Bible. Don't settle for some false view that diminishes and demeans who he really is. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us hearts that would seek to know you, Lord, and embrace you for all of who you are. God, I pray you would protect us from false notions, Lord, of who you are. Protect us sometimes against our own hearts that want to believe that you're someone that you're not. 
And God, I pray that we would fall in love with, Lord, the true Jesus. I pray that if anything was spoken this morning that specifically applies to anyone here, that it would stick with them, Lord. We would not be leaky vessels, Lord, that we wouldn't just do a brain dump at the door, but that we would carry it with us and reflect upon it and meditate upon it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.